Uh, we do encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to worship. If you have them, we invite you to open to Romans chapter 4. We also do print uh, the passage that we preach on in our worship guide. That's on page 10 and 11 today. And we are continuing in our series through the book of Romans. And today I will read and uh, preach on, in a sense, all of Romans chapter 4. But my intent is to give a big picture today and then come back at least one more week and look at some of the details in chapter 4. But as I go to read, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. And I invite all of you, but maybe particularly our younger listeners, to listen for and count the number of times that you hear the word count or counted. You'll hear it often. So maybe take note, try to see how many times I read the word count or counted. So Romans chapter 4, as I read, I remind you this is indeed the word of God. It is true forever, and it is a life-giving, precious gift from God. So may we all receive it as such this morning. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, and hope he believed against hope, that he might become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Were you able to keep track? How many times did you hear the word count or counted? By my count, there were 11. And that word points us to the main theme of this chapter. That word count or counted, as Paul uses it in Romans chapter 4, means to credit, to place on someone's account. To place on someone's account something that was not there before. So you might think of depositing a check into your bank account. Maybe it's a mobile deposit or maybe it's a direct deposit. Or maybe you actually still go into the physical bank and deposit your check. And when you do that, whether it's mobile or direct deposit or you go there, you might get a notification. Perhaps it's a text or an email. And they'll say that, Uh, We received your deposit, and your money will be available in three days or something like that. But it, it will be credited to your account. It is yours. Now, when it comes to money, that credit can be something that you've earned. Maybe it's a paycheck, or it could also be a gift. Maybe someone gave you a check for your birthday, and you're depositing it into your account. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to being made right with God, to justification, there is only one way that that credit can come to you or to anyone. As a gift from God to be received by faith. That's what we saw in last week. In in chapter 3, Paul taught that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from our works So all boasting, all pride is excluded. Today, in chapter 4, Paul continues his teaching on the grace of God. And if you want a simple definition for grace, we've given it before. You can take that word grace and just use the letters of the word and acronym and think of this. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And then add this little phrase at the end. For undeserving sinners. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense for undeserving sinners. This is what Paul is teaching about now in this section on Romans. And here's my summary of of the big broad point he's making in chapter 4. Since salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works, as we saw in chapter 3, salvation is a gift from God that is guaranteed for all who believe, and both Abraham and David show this to be true. Salvation is a gift from God that is guaranteed for all who believe, and the heroes of the faith, both Abraham and David, show this to be true. Now, if you did bring your Bible with you, you might have a chapter heading at the beginning of chapter 4. Mine says, Abraham justified by faith. So we're going to talk about that word justified. What does that mean? 
And the Westminster Shorter Catechism is very helpful here. Question 33, the question is this, what is justification? And the answer says, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sin and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now, in that answer, you may have heard there are two aspects to justification, like two sides of the same coin. They go together. They cannot be separated. Both are necessary for our salvation. On the one hand, the forgiveness of our sins, and on the other hand, being accepted as righteous in God's sight. Both are necessary for salvation, and both are accomplished by what Jesus has done, not by what you do. Forgiveness of your sins has been accomplished by the death of Jesus. Making you righteous has been accomplished by the life, the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus' sinless life is just as important as his sacrificial death. His resurrection is just as important as his burial. For the forgiveness of your sins, Paul will use David as an example. And for being made righteous, he will use Abraham as an example. And he's showing us, beloved, salvation is a gift from God that is guaranteed for all who believe. We look to Abraham, we look to David, and we see that this is true. Well, let's begin with that first point. Salvation is a gift from God. Look at verse 1 again. Paul writes, or he asks, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was the father of God's people in the Old Testament. He is the one that God brought the promise of the covenant to, the hero of the faith. He's the one that God's people look up to, that they learn from. And so Paul knows that the Jews have very high respect for Abraham. And so he's going to use Abraham as an example to teach them this important point, that salvation has always been by grace alone through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he wants them to know. He wants God's people in the New Testament to know. And he wants us, God's people today, to know, to understand, we are saved in the same way that Abraham was. Abraham lived a long time before Jesus came. But what did he do? He looked forward in faith. Abraham looked forward in faith to when the true lamb of god the true sacrifice for sins the messiah would come and his sins would be dealt with today you and i we live a long time after jesus came but what do we do we look back in faith we look back in faith to the time when jesus did come and he was crucified and buried and raised on the third day the point in common is that God's people have always looked in faith to Jesus for their salvation. So Paul says in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul is arguing that if Abraham was saved by his works, by what he did, then he can boast. But he has just told us in chapter 3, 
that all room for boasting is excluded. No one has it. So this is not how Abraham, the forefather, the hero of God's people, was saved. It's not how he was justified. Instead, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? And here he's quoting from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was through believing God, through faith and trust in God, that Abraham himself was justified, that he was counted righteous in God's sight. And so verse verse 4 goes on and says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul is making this contrast between works and faith. Between, on the one hand, working and earning, and on the other hand, receiving and trusting. So if you have a job, you get a paycheck. And when you get that paycheck, you're not typically surprised that you got it, right? In fact, often before you take a job, you want to know what the job pays. If I do this work, how much are you going to pay me to do it? You expect to get paid for the work that you do. The wages are your due. They, they are what you earn, what you deserve. And so you're not expected to say thank you every time you get a paycheck. In fact, you might not feel very thankful. Maybe you think you should be paid more for the work that you do. So Paul here, he's using an example that everyone can understand. When you work for something, your wages are not counted as a gift, but as your due. You have earned it. Paul uses this example as a contrast. He's saying this is the exact opposite of what salvation is. So he says to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Beloved, salvation is a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we work for and then count as our due. It's the very opposite. It is a gracious gift that we receive by faith alone and that we give thanks to God for. Every Sunday, we remind one another of this in our liturgy. Believer in Jesus Christ, you are free from the guilt and power of of sin and death. And then you say, thanks be to God. Now, some people complain about the liturgy in churches like ours. It's just rote repetition. You're just making people say things over and over and over again. Same thing every week. Well, there's some truth to that. We do say the same things over and over again every week. But we don't want it to be simply rote repetition. I would encourage you to engage in what you are saying, to think about it. Thanks be to God. Maybe you don't feel very thankful this morning. That could be for any number of valid reasons. But you can still say those words and be reminded that you are free from the guilt and power of all your sin. And it might help if you just say it with a smile on your face. Maybe you don't feel it, but the smile can help remind you this is an incredible gift that I have 
from God. Why do we say thanks to God? Because we didn't earn our forgiveness. Because we actually deserve the exact opposite. And because salvation is an unearned gift from God. This forgiveness of sins is an important part of what it means to be counted righteous in God's sight. That's why Paul quotes David to make his argument in verse 6. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He's talking about being counted righteous, and then he immediately talks about being forgiven of our sins. Verse, and this is from Psalm 32, which we sang earlier. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So David says, if your lawless deeds are forgiven, if your sins are covered, if the Lord does not count your sins against you, you are blessed. You are happy. Beloved, are your personal sins forgiven? If so, do you count yourself blessed this morning? It may help to remember how your sins have been forgiven. How is this possible? That the Holy Lord, perfect in righteousness and justice, will not count your sins against you. How is that possible? When I was the youth pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church, it seems like I was always buying food for events. You know, it's always good to have food for teenagers. So I would often do this, and thankfully, I didn't have to use my own money to buy that food. Westminster actually had a charge account at Oregon Dairy. And I remember one time, as I was driving home, uh, going right past Oregon Dairy, we stopped at that, I'd stopped at that grocery store, and I had two orders. So I had some food for my young family at home, and then I had also all this junk food for the teenagers. And I put it on uh, the, I, w- I went through the checkout and I put it there and I paid for the one for my young family, charged it to my credit card, and then the one for the church, I charged to the Westminster charge account. And as this was happening, I was thinking, and I actually said to the cashier, I said, you know what, this reminds me of my sin. You know, my, my sin must be paid for. Either it can be charged to my account or it can be charged to the account of another. And I said, this is why I am so thankful for my Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you realize that today? Your sin must be paid for. Either you will pay the penalty for it God's just wrath poured out on you, or amazingly, your sin can be charged to the account of the one who never sinned, to the account of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will pay for it in his death on the cross. And the way that this happens is not by any effort or work on your behalf, but simply by taking God at his word. Believing God, trusting that this is the way, the only way that God forgives your sin. And then 
when you realize this, you rejoice with David. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now why? Why won't the Lord count this sin against this man or this woman or this boy or this girl? Not because of any good works that you have done to earn forgiveness, but only because you've received the gift of salvation by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You have trusted in his death on the cross to pay for your sins. Beloved, salvation is a gift from God. You do not earn it. You receive it by faith. Never forget that. And let us pray that God would increase our wonder and our gratitude at that gift every day. Now, because this is true, this salvation, this justification, being forgiven of your sins and accepted as righteous in God's sight, because it's not on what we do, but on God's word and promise and trusting in him, this salvation is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Let's go back to that shorter catechism question once again. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace. That means this is something that God does. It's an act of God's free grace, wherein he, notice who's doing the action here. He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So this salvation, this justification is something that God does. And beloved, that is why it is guaranteed because the work of God cannot fail. We would fail every time. But God never fails. It is guaranteed because it's the gift and the work of God, not the work of man. And it's guaranteed by this example of Abraham, the father of their faith. Paul is saying, listen, you want to know how this works? Just look at Abraham. He was justified before he was circumcised. Thus, he's justified by faith and not by his works. This is guaranteed because it depends on faith and the promise of God and rests on grace, not on works. So this example of Abraham shows us that God's salvation is guaranteed because it comes to us through faith. It's not based on what we do. So it cannot be lost. It's based on what God has done. Here again, Paul's argument beginning in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now this is very interesting. Paul uses a very Jewish practice, a very Jewish religious ceremony to show that salvation is guaranteed because it's not based on what you do. And to show that Abraham is not only the father of the Jews, but also the father of 
all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. The promise came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 2. If you're not familiar with that, I would just encourage you to read Genesis chapter uh, 12. I think, did I say 2? Chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, again in chapter 15, again in chapter 17. You could just see repeatedly God coming to Abraham. So the promise came in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 15, we're told that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in chapter 17 is when Abraham receives the command, the sign of circumcision. So the promise came first. The promise, faith, and then circumcision. The promise and faith came before the religious ceremony, before circumcision. So Abraham was not saved by what he did. He was not saved because he was circumcised. He was saved, beloved, because God made a promise. Because God made a promise and Abraham responded in faith. He believed God. He trusted in God. And so there's not a single person ever in the history of the world, and nor will there be, who is saved by religious ceremony, by what they do. You are not saved because you are baptized. Don't put your trust in that. Paul says, Abraham is the father of all who believe. The father of all who believe without being circumcised. It's not being circumcised that matters most, but walking in the footsteps of faith of Abraham. The faith that he had before he was circumcised. This is why Paul will write in Galatians, Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. What's the uniting factor? Faith in Jesus Christ. This is what is most important. This salvation is guaranteed because it's not based on human merit, but on faith and the promise of God. Listen to verse 13 again. Paul picks up this argument. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, the promise is void. If it's, if it's by the law, then what difference does faith make? Faith doesn't matter. If it's by the law, then why do we need God's promise? But he says the law brings wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be what? Guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Beloved, there's good news for you this morning. If you trust in Jesus, your salvation is guaranteed. Because it's not based on you, what you do, but on the promise and the character of your God. Now, this does not mean that it does not matter what you do. It doesn't mean that you do not make every effort to obey God's commands. Beloved, obedience is what Christians do. It is what we strive to do. This means... That you don't trust in your obedience for your salvation. It means that your understanding of God's love for you is not based on how good you've been this week. 
how obedient you have been. It means that you transfer trust from yourself and your self-efforts to God, your rock, your refuge, and his promises. It means you obey God from favor because you already have his favor and love, not for favor. And there is a huge difference. We obey God from favor, not for favor. It means you can have full assurance that you are saved and will be saved forever and that anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. This brings us to our final point. Salvation is a gift from God that is guaranteed for all who believe. For all who believe. This answers the question, who is this salvation for? Who can receive this grace from God? And the answer is anyone and everyone who believes. In Romans 4, Paul begins to explain what you must believe in order to be saved. Verse 5. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. To the one who does not work. So if you are to be justified, if you are to be saved, you cannot trust in your own good works. You cannot trust in your own goodness to make you good enough in God's sight. Instead, what must you do? You must believe, you must trust that God justifies the ungodly. And Abraham himself is an example of this. When did God bring the promise to Abraham? It's when he was a foreigner. It's when he was ungodly. Joshua chapter 24 tells us that Abraham served other gods. He was worshiping idols when the Lord called him and claimed him for his own. So the first step, the first step in being counted righteous in God's sight is to admit you're not righteous in God's sight. It's to admit that you are ungodly. You are a sinner. You are morally guilty before the holy God. That was the whole argument Paul was making in the first three chapters of Romans. We are guilty. We are morally guilty before the holy God. And we need a savior. That's the first step in trusting in Jesus. Is to say, I am not righteous. I am ungodly. I am a sinner in need of a savior. The second step is to believe or trust in God's plan of salvation. Listen again to the end of this chapter, verse 23. Paul says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Not just for Abraham. Not just for God's people, Israel, throughout the Old Testament. Not just for this church at Rome that Paul's writing to then. But for our sake today. For you and me right here right now the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead jesus our lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification so to enjoy salvation as a gift from god that is guaranteed for all who believe you must believe in him who raised jesus from the dead And you must believe that Jesus was indeed delivered up for your trespasses. What does that mean? It means you believe that he died on the cross for your sin. That when he died, it was because of your sin, 
not his. He had no sin of his own, no reason to die, but he willingly laid down his life on your behalf, in your place, to pay God's just punishment for your sin. And you believe that. You accept that as true. And then also you believe that he was raised from the dead for your justification. Here's what this means. When God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, this was a loud proclamation to the world, the unseen world and the seen world. It was a demonstration. God was saying to his son Jesus that he accepted his suffering and death as full payment for your sin, for the sins of all his people. And that his favor now, no longer his wrath against sin, was directed toward his son Jesus. The wrath had already been poured out, had been taken care of. He raised him from the dead to show now my full favor is on my son Jesus and through Jesus on you who believe. This faith is different than simply saying, oh yeah, I believe in God or even I believe in a creator or a higher power. It's even simply, it's even different than simply saying, I believe in Jesus, that maybe you believe he was a real person who did live and die and rise again. But are you trusting in him? Do you see what he did? This faith is believing in God, in Yahweh, the one true God, the God who is and the God who saves. There is one true God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is your creator and your king and your judge and your savior, and you are accountable to him. And you believe that he is holy and you are sinful and that he is just and right to punish your sin. His punishment is what you have earned. It's what you deserve. But he is merciful. He is kind to undeserving sinners. And so he has been kind in sending his own son, Jesus, his holy and righteous son. And in his great plan of salvation, he has put the punishment for your sin on his own son, Jesus. So you admit your need and you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And God does forgive you. And he clothes you with the righteousness of his own son. So now, beloved, you have new life eternal life, a life that now lives to please this God who made you, who loves you, who gave himself for you. Remember these two aspects of justification, the forgiveness of your sins and the crediting of righteousness. One pastor summarizes it like this. God requires two things of us, punishment for our sins and perfection in our lives. Our sins must be punished. Our lives must be righteous, but we cannot bear our own punishment and we cannot provide our own righteousness. Therefore, God, out of his own immeasurable love for us, provided his own son to do both. Jesus bears our punishment and Jesus performs our righteousness. And when we trust in Jesus, all of his punishment and all of his righteousness is counted as ours. It's credited to our account. This is the doctrine of imputation. That's a big word. You can just use counted if you want. But that's what it's meaning. It's not simply that all our sins are forgiven. They are 
Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But it's also that the perfect, sinless life of Jesus has now been imputed to us, credited to us, as if we had lived it. As if it was your record. Now, beloved, I want to ask you a question. Let's bring this home. How much sin do you have in your account today? How much sin do you have? And is that, is your answer to that question, your thoughts about that question, your feelings about that question, is it leading to shame and guilt? How much sin do you have in your account in the eyes of God? None. None. Do you believe that? We remind ourselves of that every week. You need to be reminded of that every day. You know why? Because you sin every day. How much sin do you have in your account in the eyes of God? None. You have a zero balance. This is a time when it's good to have a zero balance in your account. You have a zero balance. Sinless, spotless, undefiled, a clean record. Amen? Now, how much righteousness do you have in your account? All the way up. You can't have any more. How much righteousness do you have in your account? In the eyes of God, you have all that you need. The full amount. No more can be put in. No more can be added to it. And what kind of righteousness do you have? It's not your own efforts. As great as they may be as a blood-bought child of God. It's not your own righteousness. It is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Beloved, God the Father looks at you as he does his son, Jesus. And you know what? You have a hard time believing that. You have a hard time living in light of that truth. You know how I know that's true? Not just from my own personal experience, but because Jesus prayed for us that we would believe this. He asked the Father to help us know that he loves us just as he's loved his son. Because he knows we would hear this and we would be like, that is too good to be true. Are you serious? Beloved, there is as much chance now. If you're trusting in Jesus, your sin is gone and his righteousness is on you. There's as much a chance of God being angry with you as there is of him being angry with Jesus. There is as much chance that God's love for you would change or that he would stop loving you as there is that he would stop loving Jesus. And just in case you're not getting it, that means there's zero chance. There's not a chance at all. So what's our response? Wait, Pastor, you're telling me no sin in my account, all righteousness. That sounds great. So I'm just going to, you, you're saying it doesn't matter how I live. Well, then I guess I can just sin that grace may abound. And Paul knows that that objection is going to come up. We're getting there. And you know his answer, right? By no means. God forbid. Instead, the answer of the one who's trusting in Jesus is, 
how can I please my God who saved me? I offer my life a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. That's Romans 12. We're not getting there for a while. But we want to live in a way that reflects this reality. In God's sight, in his courtroom, in his judgment, I am forgiven. I am righteous. So I want to live like this is true because it is. Beloved, if God can justify the ungodly. I want you to to make this personal as well. If God can justify the ungodly. If he can forgive all your sin and count you as righteous in his sight. Then certainly. Without a doubt, he can also help you in this present life to turn from sin and walk in righteousness. He can help you right now, today. He can help you actually change and do what is right. And he will. He will. He will complete the work that he has begun in you. Yes, the day is coming when we will sin no more. When it will be as if I can say, beloved, you are free from the guilt and power and presence of sin itself. And you'll say with a huge smile on your face, thanks be to God. And it won't be rote repetition. You'll be worshiping with your full heart and mind and soul and body. Yes, that day is coming. And until then, what happens? Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What's our response? We live holy lives now. We desire to be holy. We strive to be holy as God is holy. And he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. Hebrews 10, 14. What a great verse. He has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. God's doing it all. Beloved, the more you rest in this good news, the more you behold the glory of Jesus the more God will work this out in your life so that your life reflects these glorious gospel truths. This is how you grow in holiness day by day by day. But you must remember God's grace every day because you sin every day. You suffer every day. You struggle. So be reminded of this truth. Every day you have an accuser bearing down on you. You have an enemy that doesn't want you to believe God's word. He doesn't want you to walk in holiness. He doesn't want people seeing the transforming power of the gospel in your life. So he will beat you down and beat you down and beat you down. And beloved, we need to stop listening to our accuser. We might need to stop listening to ourselves and ask God help us listen to him. Remember God's grace every day. Look less at yourself and your failings and more at the character and promise of God. So David wrote psalms to help him do this. And he sang psalms to help him do this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And Abraham was circumcised to help him do this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And beloved, we partake of the Lord's Supper every week to help us do this. To remember our great God and his salvation. I want to encourage you in one practical way as we close this morning. I would encourage all of you, maybe particularly the adults or older uh, teenagers who might not be participating in the memory verse program that our younger children are right now. I would encourage you, if you have not already, 
or even if you have, to start working on memorizing Romans chapter 8. Especially verses 31 through 39. But you can do the whole chapter. You can. You can do it. It takes work and effort, but it's worth it. And as those truths go through your mind over and over and over again, God will change your life. He will bring these truths home to your heart. He will comfort you. He will encourage you. You can do it before we get to Romans 8. We're on Romans 4 today. I'm coming back to Romans 4 next week. It's probably going to be, I don't know exactly yet, it'll probably be three months or more before we get to Romans chapter 8. You can do it. And if you do, then I won't even need to preach on it. But I will. So I encourage you to, to do that. You will benefit so much by repeating those truths over and over and over. Beloved, when you believe God, when you trust in Jesus, your sins no longer count against you. You are forgiven. And when you believe in God and you trust in Jesus, your sins are replaced with his righteousness. You are righteous. God offers to make this trade with you today. Will you accept his gift of salvation? If you have, then God says you are blessed forever. There's no sin in your account, but there is a full measure of perfect righteousness. Amen? So I urge you to believe God today. And know that he counts it to you as righteousness. And so let us be thankful. Let's pray together.